exciting, Susan, in ACT. Now, this is going to really make the final management structure in your buildings so much better. Welcome to Strata with Susan, the show focused on the complex world of strata law in the ACT. Your host, Susan Proctor from Proctor Legal, is an accredited specialist in property law whose daily focus is on helping clients with their legal requirements around strata, developments and commercial property. This is a show where Susan will share her extensive expertise, thoughts, insights and advice on strata law and welcome leading figures from the industry so that you can stay well informed around all aspects of strata law in the ACT. Here's your host, Susan Proctor from Proctor Legal. Hi everyone and thank you for joining me for this episode of Strata with Susan. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with my friend and colleague and a specialist developer, strata lawyer from New South Wales, Philippa Russell. Philippa has worn various hats over the years, including in the role as strata manager and brings a unique perspective to treat shared facilities and governance arrangements in complicated buildings and how to address the strata community element within such complex buildings. Today we will discuss the evolution of the strata reform process in New South Wales in relation to shared facilities, the interaction of the shared facilities consultant, the importance of the shared facilities register and what it can mean to get this right for your building and how to move forward with ensuring a difficult process runs as smoothly as possible. Philippa, it's wonderful to have you on Strata with Susan. As you know, we have uh, worked together over the years in various different strata environments and looking at both New South Wales legislation and in more recent times, ACT legislation. We're very excited in the ACT that we have new legislation starting in the strata space from 1 November 2020, this year. And it's been a long time coming, Philippa, because we're building more complicated buildings that require some sort of arrangements to be put in place for people to understand what they need to contribute costs towards and look after and maintain. So for the first time, the ACT is moving towards having a statutory mechanism to record the costs, the contribution of costs towards shared services between different owners within a single building envelope. Now, the New South Wales, as you know, have been introduced this form of legislation many years ago. It would be instructive for us to understand what the experience has been in New South Wales in introducing strata management statements, as I understand they're called in New South Wales, and and what the impact has been. Uh, thanks, Susan. Uh, our strata management statements uh, have a genesis in in what we call part strata legislation, because before the legislation changed, you could only register a strata plan over a, the whole of a building. And a lot of buildings were being built that had mixed uses. And so the, the legislation changed so that you could register a strata plan over part of a building. Now, from what you've said about ACT, your focus seems to be on recording how to cost share in a building Ours started at a different, um, a different perspective. It was really legislation to allow a strata plan to be registered over part of a building. And as part of that, the, uh, the drafters of the legislation said we should have a strata management statement to govern the arrangements between the, the various parts of the building. And shared facilities came out of that. Um, it wasn't drafted into the legislation when it first uh, started, uh, but it became a practice 
to to have the sharing of costs because obviously you've got different owners in a building not governed by one piece of legislation and that's that's where our strata management statements came from and when they were introduced how did developers respond to requiring this additional document in order to register their strata plans it was more the surveyors who responded to it who could come up with a solution of registering a strata plan over part of a building. And historically what happened is that you'd have a building with mixed uses and you could then say, well, do you know what? We can separate uh, the retail or the commercial from the residential. So the developers responded uh, by saying, well, this is good because we want retail and commercial to be out of the strata scheme and not governed um, by, by the strata regulation and indeed having to go back to the owner's corporation every time they wanted to change a window or change their use. So they responded well to it. It's interesting how the, the legislation evolved over time to introduce the shared facilities concept or the building management statements themselves evolved over time to introduce the shared facilities arrangements. At that point, no doubt, uh, lawyers were required to put some drafting around how that statement would look like. Is that how strata management statements started to be evolved? Well, they did. I, I don't know whether the strata management statement that I was involved with for the Tattersalls building in Elizabeth Street was the first. I'm guessing that it is. But nobody had thought about... The, I mean, the legislation did not cover shared facilities, um, but it became clear that shared facilities had to be addressed. And it became more sophisticated as time went on. But, of course, there was no legislation governing uh, what should happen with the shared facilities and how they should be shared uh, between, between the different parts of the building. When our legislation changed a couple of years ago, they did introduce some sections uh, to try and govern shared facilities uh, but we haven't seen the end of that yet. There'll be more legislation to come, I think, because there are a few rules about um, what to do with the shared facilities, but I think there are some people in the strata community who aren't happy and don't think it's strict enough. You mentioned the Tattersalls building. Can you just describe why the part strata worked or, or was proposed to work for that building and, and how it's operated over time? Well, the Tattersalls building comprises the City Tattersalls Club, there's a commercial element, there's a hotel, and there's a small strata scheme at the Women's Club. The Women's Club insisted on having a strata scheme. Uh, historically, I can't explain why. But at the time, we did not have our part strata legislation. So it was hard to... It was Well, it was impossible for that strata scheme to be registered. And whilst the project was being built... Uh, the, our new legislation came into effect, which meant that that strata scheme could, could a strata plan could be registered over that part of the building and have a strata management statement in place to govern govern the arrangements between the different parts of the building. Interesting. And so, in taking those instructions, would you act for a particular owner, or was it the developer at the time? I was acting for the club at the time, but the developer had a had a large firm acting for them. And um, that was when we decided that we needed to have shared facilities because, you see, with a single strata scheme, all of the sharing of the cost is covered because 
because all of the, the facilities are in common property. Whereas in a building of this kind, as in, as in your buildings in the ACT, you've got different parts. You've got different owners um, you know, occupying one building. And so all of the services run through the building, you know, sewer, water, fire, electrical, etc. So you have to develop your own shared facilities register. Uh, to govern, to govern, you know, what what those facilities are and how they're going to be shared. And unlike our strata, where the costs are shared on a unit entitlement basis in a strata management statement, properly drafted, uh, the costs would be shared on a user basis. Right, that's interesting because our legislation or our new amendments to our legislation not only are introducing the concept of creating a building management statement where there is a unit plan within a building envelope and either a second unit plan or third, fourth, or a separate stratum lease. So you would be aware, Philippa, that our our land in the ACT is leasehold, a little bit different to New South Wales. And for that reason, rather than having a part lot, we have a parcel and that parcel is the crown lease for a particular uh, block that may be subdivided by a stratum subdivision. Uh, Yes, of course, yours is so much more complicated than ours because you have got that leasehold. Um, As you and I have discussed before, we do have strata leasehold in New South Wales, but it's a different animal uh, to yours. Our, our strata leasehold is we start off with the freehold strata plan and we um, put some leases over the top of the lots, whereas you're starting with leasehold. But it's very exciting, Susan, you know, sort of in ACT now, this is going to really make the final management structure in your buildings so much better. And just coming back on that point that you made in relation to the the strata management statement being the vehicle to apportion levies over shared services on a basis other than lot entitlement. In the ACT, we have also moved to amend our Unit Titles Management Act, our equivalent of your Management Act, to facilitate the ability for owners' corporations to pass by way of special resolution a a cost allocation methodology that is on a basis other than unit entitlement. That's a great step. Of course, our strata management statements are not only used for cost allocation of shared services, uh, they're also a management tool, how, you know, managing the various parts of the building. Would, would that be the same with your, with your building management statements? Well, certainly having uh, learnt and worked with yourself in some similar situations in New South Wales, I think it's more than appropriate that management of the the committee that's established by virtue of the building management statement is an essential part of it. And there are mandatory requirements to be incorporated within the building management statement, which include having a minimum of one meeting a year, uh, dispute resolution mechanisms and the like. I always ask a developer at the beginning of a project, what is their vision for the management of the building? And they might say, we want the, we, we, we expect the separate parts to be completely independent of each other. Uh, whereas in some big developments I've seen, the, uh, a lot of the shared, a lot of the, the elements of the building, like lifts, loading, dock, and whatever, management is pushed up to the building management committee, uh, whether or not um, they're, they're shared um, by other parties. 
just so that there's one central management arrangement. I mean, for example, security is a good is a good example. Um, sometimes the security is 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 the whole building and, and not the separate parts of the building. Uh, but the other the other thing to look out for, acting for a developer in these these projects, who of course is the initial drafter of the document, is that down the track, um, although you might say the retail and the commercial elements are separated from the residential parts, when the developer, when the owner of the retail or commercial stratum lot goes to the council to have changes to his lot, the council may also re require the owner's corporation of the residential part to endorse the development consent application. And that's because there are the, there are the shared facilities. So drafting of these documents is critical to ensure that the independence of the various parts stays the same and the owner of the retail lots aren't accidentally caught up we're still having to talk to the owners' corporation. Philippa, you and I have spoken about creating documents that, that cover off on anticipated issues as best one can and that oftentimes these documents are only considered or looked at in terms of when something goes wrong. <laughs> yes. In your experience, how important is the role of the strata manager of an owners corporation where there's a strata plan within a building with some separate stratum lots for commercial and retail. How's the role of the strata manager involved in terms of who is representing the owners corporation as opposed to who is representing the interests of the strata management committee? It's an interesting question, Susan, because there's, there are different opinions in New South Wales um, as to the role of the strata managing agent. I, the strata managing agent is so important in these buildings, uh, especially at the outset of the building. They need to understand how the structure works because if they don't, um, they'll, they'll get the, the, the levies confused, but there will also be unhappiness in the building. I think your question was, do you or should you have the same strata managing agent? Now, there is a divergence of opinion. I am very strongly of the view that you're going to have a better run building if you have the same strata managing agent for the building management committee and for the strata scheme in that building. Uh, and if you possibly can to, to draft that into your strata management statement. Hard to do. Um, you can do it. Is it enforceable is, a, is another issue. But you then have the same strata managing agent running the building. If you have different strata managing agents, there will be conflict, no doubt. Uh, other, other practitioners take a different view. Uh, they say for independence, they should be different strata managing agents. Um, and who is right and who is wrong really is a, a question of how the building is ultimately managed. Under a strata management statement, in terms of the operation of the the budget and the uh, any sinking fund contributions that are made within the strata management side for the shared services and repairs and maintenance, are they generally held if it's the same strata manager as separate accounts and is that regulated through your strata management legislation or is that regulated through the strata management statement or is that regulated through your agents act 
I always say a strata management statement is as far as the imagination of the developer's lawyer will go. So, <laughs> so how the monies are managed, um, how you hold your meetings, um, where you put the money and how you spend it is all governed by the strata management statement and not the legislation, unlike a strata scheme, which is strictly regulated by, its, by the legislation. But most strata management statements, well, really all strata management statements I've seen have, have got these items in them. And indeed, it is a compulsory matter to, to set out how meetings are to be run and, and setting up the funds. Um, it, whilst a compulsory matter, it'll vary from document to document how they actually do it. Uh, but you'll find that a lot of strata management statements are similar uh, in that. And, and, and also there's probably some some copying from the strata legislation which is fine because it, it works. And I understand you've worn some hats over the years and one of those was in your own strata management company. Yes, I did have a strata management company and it was yes, it was it was great fun and it was when part strata was fairly new. So we did have a lot of um, part strata buildings and it was a bit of a learning curve I think for everybody and particularly with the insurance. Um, I think insurance companies now, or brokers are, are, are au fait with it, um, but it was a bit of a learning curve, making sure all of the insurances um, were right. I'm just looking at this from the ACT's perspective. So we have not had the opportunity, although we have some rather complicated entwined buildings, generally they're within one unit plan. So we haven't really had to date the opportunity for a strata managing agent to wear a different hat, if you will, as an advisor or a manager to the building management committee, which is what our new committees will be, will be called. Um, so it's a new role to a degree. You mentioned that it took a while for, you know, to learn and, and to work through the nuances of, of the new legislation from the New South Wales experience. Do you think there's anything that you could pass on to facilitate or, or help strata managers understand what the opportunities or concerns would be looking at managing both a residential unit plan within a larger commercial building where they're also representing the building management committee moving forward? I think the important perspective from the strata managing agents, they will, they will understand it. And if, you know, if, um, if I may say so under your guidance, they will understand it. It's getting the owners in the building to understand it. And I always thought that it helped at our first annual general meeting uh, to have a blackboard or a screen showing them their structure because if they don't understand the management structure in which they live, um, there'll be unhappiness down the track. Look, there are still some strata managing agents who, who don't understand these structures, but most of them do in New South Wales because they're so common now. Your problem with ACT is it's so new. And am I right in saying that you can introduce these structures into existing buildings? Yes. Could we do it in an existing building here with, with difficulty? So, so you're starting from a different perspective from us. Um, you've got a building that's already up and running. Owners are used to it being one way. Now it's going to be a different way. 
um, different management structure. It's not mandatory. So, of course, it's only going to be optional where both parties or however many parties are involved wish to enter into a building management statement. It is only mandatory for new developments from 1 July 2021 that contain a unit plan. Oh, right. Look, there's no doubt you, you, you need a very uh, good and sophisticated strata managing agent who understands the building um, because they then can guide the owners. Uh, because as, as you go down the track in the management of, of the, the ongoing management of these buildings, all sorts of questions come up and uh, of ownership of parts of the building and uh, who, who can do what with them. So if it's a shared facility, the management of that facility has moved up to the Building Management Committee and it can, can cause grief if people don't understand it, you know, how that works. We can have a problem with easements here as well, but that, that's, a, that's another issue for New South Wales. I think we will have that issue in the ACT as well, Philippa, because we do have easements as well. And historically, developers, lawyers have been using easements to, to try and deal with the, the cost-sharing obligations between different user groups within the building for those shared facilities. I always say to clients when they're starting a, a new development uh, that it's critical for them to get an external consultant to prepare their shared facilities register because at the end of the day, the most arguments are over levies and what owners are paying. So they will complain about their levies, they'll look at the shared facilities register and if it's not prepared by an independent consultant, then there's grief because it leaves it open to the owners to say, well, we should have this reviewed. But that's a difficult course and expensive for owners. So if you have an independent person prepare it, produce it to the first meeting of the Building Management Committee and have it adopted or, or have it as part of your statement, um, which is mostly in New South Wales, it is part of the statement, then that can put an end to, to a lot of arguments and unhappiness. But the other difficulty we have, and I'd be interested to see what your legislation says in New South Wales, is that whilst it's on a cost-sharing basis, the proportion of the cost-sharing basis is not governed by the legislation. It has to be fair, um, but there's no direction as to how you determine what is fair. So what one consultant will say is fair, another consultant will say is not fair. So, for example, lifts. Some, some consultants may prepare the proportion to pay for lifts based on how many floors the lift opens up to. Some will prepare it uh, on a floor area basis and others may prepare it on a people basis, the number of people using the lift. So that's also, I think, something down the track when this legislation is reviewed, and I'm sure there's going to be a review of it in the context of our strata management statements, how that issue is going to be tackled. Is there any issue like that in ACT? Is there any discussion of how you should work out these costs? We do have requirements that it must be fair and there are some examples provided of, of what that could look like. And we have a review mechanism built in as a mandatory requirement every five years. I'm interested in, in that actually from the New South Wales perspective. I understand the 2015 amendments did introduce an audit requirement every, every five years of a shared facilities register. Is that correct? 
Absolutely, yes. You you have to include clauses in your strata management statement for a review facility, and uh, and the trick is how you draft those clauses. I mean, how do you c conduct a review? Um, do you conduct a, a whole review every five years? Do you get a shared facilities consultant in every five years and pay him another fifteen to twenty thousand dollars to review them, or do you review if there's a change? The trick is in the drafting of that clause. And the shared facilities consultant, that's really a new sort of role within the ACT. Are there, are there lots of them, Philippa? Is it a, is it a growth industry? <laughs> well, it probably is. It probably is, Susan. I use a couple of shared facilities consultants in New South Wales. On one project, we used the developer's quantity surveyor and it didn't go well. Quantity surveyors, I don't think, are the, are the right people. Often quantity surveyors are mentioned, but I think somebody who is more familiar with, in the, with the construction industry and, um, and how a building works is, is a better person. Uh, but they don't have to have any, any qualifications. Um, but you are obviously, as a developer, best to get somebody with good qualifications and prepare a really beautiful shared facilities report. Um, and go into detail in that report how you determined your your percentages, um, even though that may not be con included in your your registered strata management statement. Because if you can produce that report, it, it will a deflect a lot of owners from trying to you know, unnecessarily review your shared facilities, and b it'll make owners comfortable that somebody has put some effort into determining what is being shared and, and what they should be paying for. Part of the new reforms also to be adopted 1 November now put the onus on a developer to provide at the same time as registration of the units plan, a maintenance plan and schedule for how the owners corporation could or should look to maintain all aspects of that building. Is there an interplay in New South Wales, I understand there's similar common property maintenance schedule requirement under the New South Wales legislation. Is there any interplay between the shared facilities consultant and maintenance in terms of their background or their experience or the expertise that they bring to the table? Uh, no, not necessarily. And it's a very good question, Susan, because whilst there are obligations in the strata legislation for owners' corporations and maintenance schedules, it hasn't been extended to shared facilities, which are managed by the Building Management Committee. Maybe that's something that, that's going to be addressed in, 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 when, when this legislation is reviewed. But no, it's all governed by the strata management statement. I'm just trying to understand this role of the shared facilities consultant. In coming up with the cost allocation methodology, the repairs and maintenance would be considered as the cost factor that's to be contributed to on an ongoing basis, yeah? Yes. So they would have skills in assessing that potential cost. I'm trying to understand what shared facilities consultants, what skills they should have to bring to the table to make suggestions as to that cost allocation. I think they need a strong building background. They should have some qualification in building. They could have a qualification in strata management and in building management. I haven't recommended any consultant who doesn't have that background, but there's no 
legislative requirement for them to have a particular type of background. What they do look at is the shared facilities and what is shared. They'll look at the percentage allocation between the various parts of the building. They actually don't determine the costs, obviously, of that. That then falls to the strata managing agent. And that's that's a great skill for the strata managing agent to understand what those costs are. But the percentages, of course, are determined by the consultant. You mentioned earlier that you asked the developer, what is your vision for management of, of the building? How can a developer maximise and simplify the preparation of those statements from a lawyer's perspective? The developers, A, they need to understand what their vision is. And, and of course, they don't, they don't really know what their vision is. And to, and to be fair, a lot of strata management statements are prepared because they're actually a compulsory document. So I don't want to sound cynical about them, um, but that is that is why developers come across them, because it's compulsory to register it with their strata plan. Um, some developers won't give it any thought at all, which can be very difficult for the lawyer preparing the document. Uh, some developers uh, give a lot of thought to it, but if you turn the developer's attention to what they should put in the document, these are the things that I that I would address keeping in mind I am a developer's lawyer. Um, and so these documents are prepared at the very outset um, and, and a part of vendor disclosure. But from the developer's perspective, they need to be comfortable that if they need to do further development in the building, they're not going to be stopped or hindered by the, by the uh, residential strata scheme. So you need clauses to enable them to do that. And I mentioned it earlier, for example, getting council consent to changes if there are shared facilities that are going to be impacted. They must be able to change the shared facilities or to tap into them. That's the first point. I then always think of the residential strata scheme. In a lot of developments, the, the developer is going to keep the retail or the commercial parts. So he wants to make sure that the residential strata scheme comply with their bylaws if he wants a nice looking building. For example, maintenance of the outside of the building if it's not a shared facility. What gets put on balconies? Um, the, the next thing which is very important to consider is the retail and the commercial elements are usually on the, on the lower floors. Do they need access to the roof? Because the roof is mostly always common property in the strata scheme because of subdivisional arrangements. Councils don't like a bit of, bit of a commercial or retail airspace you know, you know, up in the air. So you have to make sure that you can get services up onto the roof. Uh, you, can, you can install the services and you can access the services. And that's the sort of questions that need to be directed to the developer. The other thing that often happen in these mixed-use developments is, is air conditioning. Air conditioning often is located somewhere, you know, in the residential strata scheme or even the grease arrested, just the way the building's been built. So they are issues that you as a developer's lawyer have to direct the developer to. He won't think of them. He's a very good surveyor will, and so you can work with the surveyor. And then uh, lastly, and I know it's silly, but I always worry about garbage. <laughs> <laughs> How, do, how does the garbage get out of the building? Can it be stored in the loading dock? I don't know why I worry about it so much. Over all the years I've been drafting strata management statements, nobody's ever come back and said, your garbage clause is not correct. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Philippa, thank you so much for your time and your responses today. That that has been very insightful and drawing on the New South Wales experience is, is something I'm sure many of us in the ACT will be doing just to lessons learned is always the best way to start. Well, good luck. You're going into a wonderful new area, Susan, and good luck with it. Thanks again to Philippa Russell for finding the time to come on the show and share her thoughts and expertise on this rather complex arrangements that amazing architects create that people then need to live in and and work around and there are ways to work around it. Safe to say I think you'll need the assistance of lawyers with the skill set that Philippa offers to assist in that process. Philippa can be contacted via her website at www.philipparussell.com.au and of course if you'd like to get in touch and suggest a particular topic and I'm sure we might be able to get Philippa on the show again ask a question for me to answer on the show share a story or suggest a guest I would love to hear from you simply visit proctorlegal.com.au to make contact until next time thank you for joining me